Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. And now, here are your hosts, Zach Williams and Beth Popnikoloff. Welcome to Smarter Building Materials Marketing. My name is Zach Williams. I'm alongside my co-host, Beth Popnikolov. We have a really exciting show for you today. You know, an area we get asked about all the time is where is the industry going? And how are the buying habits of our audiences, whether that's a builder, a contractor, architect, whoever, how are they changing in the channel? It's something that we're constantly looking at and that's constantly evolving. So understanding your audience and what motivates them is critical to every single building product company out there. And this is why we're really excited to bring along a guest with us today. His name is Grant Farnsworth. He's the VP of Business Development at the Farnsworth Group. Grant's company actually specializes in understanding these shifts in buying habits in the building product space. He's a good friend and colleague of mine, so I'm excited to bring him on the show. So welcome, Grant. We're thrilled that you've joined us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. So why don't you just kick everybody off and just let us know a little bit about your organization and a little bit of your background as well. Sure. Uh, So the Farnsworth Group is a custom market research firm that is solely focused on the building products, hardware, home improvement space. Um, That includes lawn and garden as well as some uh, farm and ranch. For 30 years, that's been our sole focus. Um, So we don't put particular focus on any one methodology or any one end user group within that space. Again, we focus more on industry Um, We do both qualitative, quantitative, but our job is to understand our clients' needs across manufacturers as well as retail, use primary research to get them some answers that help improve their market performance. Um, I've been with the firm for, oh gosh, 15 plus years. I've been in the industry then, 15 plus years, working with a variety of manufacturers, but also a lot of associations and and partnerships that we've established throughout the industry. And you and I met, gosh, a couple years ago. I know we see each other all the time at trade shows. Because you help everybody with, you know, market research as it relates to not only their audience, but also trends in the industry, right? Yeah, so we'll work with, um, you know, certainly the majority of our work is uh, proprietary work for our clients. But we are heavily engaged with a number of associations, which, um, you know, is kind of how we met Zach. It was uh, an industry function. And we give presentations. I would say we probably present... I don't know, 15, 20 times a year at different industry events. Uh, We'll do a handful of public industry studies each year that touch on different topics relevant towards what's going on in the marketplace, either on the DIY or the homeowner side of things, or I'm sorry, on the the DIY or the pro side of things. So yeah, we, we try to participate in conversations as much as we can. We feel it's critical to being knowledgeable about the space. We can't just rely on the work that we do for our clients. We have to be fully engaged in the industry at all levels, and we do our best to do so. So Grant, based on what you're saying, you know, you guys really live and breathe market research around the industry. What changes would you say you've seen across the building products industry in the last five years? It's a good question, Beth. And I think there's, um, you know, the last five years probably a couple of trends that we're starting to see or at least seeing continue. Um, You know, one would be on the product, the buying side of things. And this is consistent whether we're thinking about the DIY consumer or the pro-consumer. And that would be subtle shifts, sometimes even pretty strong shifts in the key drivers around product decisions, channel decisions, et cetera. So, continually over the last five years, we've seen price pressure come off. Not that price doesn't matter, right? But 
the relevance it plays um, in conjunction with quality, location, convenience, um, service, support, um, it, it's starting to, um, you know, play less of a role in those other areas like service, like support are coming up, which really changes the type of product that the buyer's looking for, the, the channel they're going to to get it. And even from the retail side, the, the, the range of product that is being carried. So if you can recall, even 10 years ago, there was a lot of good and better, but not much best on the shelf because retailers were accommodating all the price conscious consumers. We're seeing more better and best, particularly over the last five years. So I think that's one thing on, on really the, the channel side, the product side of the world. Um, and then I would say another trend that we're seeing over the last five years is more internally with our clients. And that is how they're viewing, using, approaching data to help them make proper decisions. We, let's be honest, we live in an industry that is kind of a dinosaur, right? It's 10, 15 years behind CPP, <laughs> behind tech, right? You name other industries and, and they're well ahead of the curve compared to building products. Um, but I think that's slowly starting to change, which is really, really exciting. And I don't know if that's because we're getting, you know, younger folks into the industry on the corporate side, um, but that operating off the gut, uh, family business, we know what our customers want. That whole mindset is really starting to shift. And we're seeing people utilize not only big data, but micro data, public research, private research, whatever the case may be, to really drive decisions. And that, I think, is very, very exciting for our industry. It's, of course, exciting for our firm because that's the space we live and die in. Um, but I think we're, we're seeing companies benefit from that and, and make some exciting changes in their own business because of it. You know, I think that's interesting, Grant, because if you, you mentioned a minute ago about price and with the emergence of, of websites like Amazon, for example, like our expectation about, you know, price is very different than it was five or 10 years ago. And there's so much more competition. But what you're saying is actually the opposite that, you know, price is important, but people are, regardless of if you market to architects or builders or contractors or the DIY or that they are looking for the value and are they starting there? And why would you say that that's the case? Yeah. So, so I, again, price is important. It's always going to be important. Right. But I think, and this is, uh, let me caveat a lot of this stuff with, it depends on what category we're talking about too. Right. So, I mean, fasteners is going to get a different response than um, high end finished plumbing goods. Right. Mm -hmm. Very so true. Brand agnostic. It is mostly about price. It's a commodity base. The more, um, consumable commodity like the product, the more important price is always going to play, right? We know that in 30 years of doing research in this space. But what I'm saying is, is that particularly when we start looking at those more uh, durable goods, higher price point goods, categories, et cetera, um, price is important, but there is a willingness to spend. If you can help me understand what more I'm getting for that dollar, right? So I think there's this, um, at least, Maybe a few years ago, there was this narrative that, you know, um, millennials, and I hate using the term millennials, but let's just say the younger consumers that are really entering the housing market don't have money to spend, don't want to spend money, that they're strapped with debt and, and, and. Not that that's a bunch of BS, but it's not as strong as maybe all the rhetoric was. We find that they are willing to spend money. We just have to have a good value proposition in front of them. And going back to your question earlier about some of the trends over the last five years, um, I would say over the last two years, particularly this, this conversation about value proposition, 
now has to go beyond value prop. So traditional value prop is the balance of price and quality. Yeah. True. And now what we're seeing both on the retail side and manufacturing side is the consumers are expecting to go beyond value proposition through providing experience. And that, again, experience can be different depending on what channel type we're talking about, depending what product category we're talking about. But think about particularly on the contractor side, um, experience comes down to service levels, um, you know, sales and business supports, um, on-site deliveries, resolving issues with product within 24 hours, right? All of these things are starting now to play a bigger and bigger role because people are willing to spend that much more on product and need help managing their projects. Homeowners want that higher end stuff. They have more money in their pockets. So tell you what, yeah, if you can you know, warranty this stuff and, and have it delivered uh, to my house within 24 hours and you can connect me with an installer, yeah, I'm willing to pay for those additional services beyond just the tr- traditional value prop. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that that's really interesting because one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you on is we get asked all the time, well, what is my audience doing here? Or was my audience doing there? And we primarily focus on the buyer journey as it relates to digital. How do we drive leads? How do we drive sales? But from your standpoint, Grant, like I'd love to hear like what are some of like the biggest misconceptions that manu- manufacturers have about their audience? Because you get brought in, you know, for any number of reasons as it relates to their market research and understanding either either it's a trend and where the industry is going or understanding, let's say, the constituent within within the channel. So what what are some misconceptions that you run into on a regular basis? Yeah, misconception. I, th- I think we need to, again, it's, it's going to vary by by audience. It's going to vary by, you know, maybe category we're talking about. And I, and I hate to keep throwing out that kind of political caveat, but it is the case. But if we think about it holistically, at least um, let's start maybe on the contractor side of the world. Um, I think, again, there's, a, there's still a mentality, particularly on the manufacturer side and even with some independent retail, that if the contractor has used you in the past, they'll continue to use you going forward. Mm. They know our brand. They love our brand. Um, you know, they'll continue to use our brand simply because we've been in their hand for the last, you know, maybe the last three generations. And, and that's not always the case. And I think it's a real, real dangerous attitude to have. Um, same thing with kind of independent you know, lumber yards and independent, especially suppliers, we're the experts, right? We're, we know their business. They know us. We've been around here for 20 years. So, you know, they're going to keep shopping us. I mean, we've seen over the last decade that that's not the case. I mean, look at, you know, the, what Home Depot and Lowe's have done to gain incremental share amongst the pros. So I think one of the biggest challenges that our industry needs to continue to overcome, and I think we're doing a better and better job of it, is really that that mindset that they know us, they love us, they know our brand, it's all about brand, and so they're going to continue to use our <laughs> brand, right? On the, on the homeowner side, on the DIY side, um, I don't know if there's any misconceptions. I think there are just a lot of challenges and unknowns that our industry is aware of. Right. So, I mean, those challenges revolve and and Zach, you touched on it earlier is, is kind of this whole path to purchase. There are more and more resources every single day for a homeowner or a pro to have access to, to get product information, get pricing information, to see reviews, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's just becoming increasingly difficult for our industry and probably any industry for that matter to understand when we need to get a hold of them 
where we need to get a hold of them, what we need to say at that point, how long that overall journey is and our role throughout that entire process, et cetera. So I, I, again, I don't know that there's maybe as, as big of misconceptions on the DIY and homeowner side, but maybe some bigger challenges, if that makes sense. It, it does make sense. And I think that what I'm hearing from you, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the status quo is no longer the status quo. The status quo is certainly at risk of not being the status quo. I think you, 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 you put yourself in a real vulnerable position if you're a company that believes that because they've, they've liked you, you know, in the past, they're going to like you going forward. And because you've used a certain channel in the past or a certain medium in the past that's worked for you, that that's going to work going forward. Again, I think you put yourself in a real, real vulnerable position. We do a lot of research, a lot of data shows that there's continual changes in behaviors on where people are getting information and the type of information they're looking for and what they're expecting from each of the sources that they use. And those expectations continue to grow and grow and grow. That, that's one thing I think that's, you know, can't be understated is that, and I'm sure you run into this all the time, if you do market research today for a manufacturer and you're looking at the buying process as it relates to, let's say, you know, a specific category like faucets, you know, how someone researches and finds and chooses their faucet today could be exponentially different a year from now, like in a way that it never was before, like even five, 10 years ago, like the, mar- the market and technology is just is shifting so quickly. Yeah. Yep. Are you seeing that as well? Is like that a common thread? Guaranteed. And I think that's what I was alluding to as, as far as the challenge uh, for a lot of our clients in the industry as a whole is because, and this isn't, you know, um, an issue just for the building product space, right? I mean, this is an issue for all of, you know, marketers across really any, any sectors that it is evolving and changing so fast that it's giving customers either on the, on the pro or DIY side, um, you know, more options. So how do we keep up with that? How do we manage that? How do we play a role in that? And, you know, when do we need to play a role in that? When do we need to back off? Right. And I think it's a, it's an interesting thing because, you know, when we talk to a lot of, manufacturers or retailers that may be stuck in the mud and, and harkening back to the good old days and ah, no, no, our, our clients love us and we're just going to keep going down the path we've always gone down. You know, they, they like to say sometimes that you know, the customer has changed and it's, it's, it's a new normal and it's a new this. And, and, and I don't know that the customer has changed. I think customers are always going to utilize the resources they have at their fingertips. 50 years ago, they had yellow pages and TV and a billboard. That was it, Right. Then 20 years ago, along comes, I don't know, email. 10 years ago, along comes some websites. And now today, there's the internet divided up into 50 different ways you can use it. So customers are always going to utilize those resources they have at their fingertips to get a more informed, better decision around what they're buying. So I don't know the customer has changed, but what they have at their fingertips certainly has. I think that's a really good point. We've talked a lot about, you know, the educated consumer and how consumers now, they really demand to be educated. But what you're saying, and I would say we're we're seeing, I just didn't know how to put the words to it like you are, is that that's, that's like that pace is quickening and manufacturers are having to become more and more uncomfortable essentially with the amount of information that they'll release. And I would even say it seems like we're quickly approaching the day where you can't just say, well, we can't release pricing because the consumer can go somewhere else and find the pricing for someone else's product. And then that's the product I'm going to buy. You got it. And uh, every time we do research on, you know, what broader resources are used, what broader locations are used for information, 
time and time again, after you get past, you know, search and, and go into Google, number one and number two, almost no matter what category, no matter what audience we talk about are manufacturer sites, retailer sites. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So you can either be a part of that conversation and help them go back and forth and, and get them the information they need and help, them, you know, help facilitate or not. But they are going to do it whether you help them or not. I love that. We, we, talk, we talk to manufacturers all the time where they say, well, how, you know, how, can I, how can I slow sales or stop sales on the internet? How can I stop the internet from stealing from me? And I'm like, I know I'm like, I, I'm like you got to shift your perspective 180 degrees. Like you need to get on board. You know, because it's not, the internet is not, the internet is not against you. The internet could be a great tool for you. So what we're seeing more and more of too, and maybe this goes back to your trend over the last five years, um, those manufacturers that are partnering and engaging more and more with the retail side on content, on driving traffic back and forth, et cetera, those partnerships over the last couple of years um, are super, super important. And I think those that are doing it the best are seeing some, some good returns. And this is at the big box level all the way down to the local independent level. Those collaborations and, and consistency and content, content, content is pretty key. So Grant, let's say I'm a manufacturer. I'm out in the field talking to one of my current customers, um, and I want to get better insight into why they purchased my product or maybe why they're not purchasing a new product that we've released, anything like that. Can you give me some help on how to ask questions or how to approach them with these questions so that I can actually get the like actionable answers. Cause there's really, there's a science behind it. It's not just, well, I can't just ask why and come out with the answer that's going to be helpful. I want to back up before getting to how to ask and, and how to approach someone with questions. Um, so at the Farnsworth group, you know, our, our, what we believe is some of our core value is kind of the upfront discussions about research and capturing information, right? And knowing this industry to understand how to structure, design, build out, set expectations, et cetera. And, and so some of the discussions that we always have with clients up front when we're looking at projects and, and defining scope is to understand, one, what the core objectives are. Not the specific individual questions, but what are those broader questions that you're trying to answer, right? And, and how many areas are you trying to cover? So you can start breaking that down into manageable sections of information, um, if, if that makes sense. And I think the second thing is to always reflect and understand how is the information, how is the research going to be used internally, right? What are you ultimately trying to answer and how are you going to utilize those answers in your organization? Because if you can't come up with those uh, those, you know, those answers, uh, you know, how the research is going to be used, et cetera, then, then don't waste your time. Right. But uh, once you figure that out and understand how the research is going to be used and, 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 uh, and go forward, um, just make sure, and we hear this a lot and manufacturers, retailers, you should be out there asking questions, right. Whether it's in, when you're in front of the DIY or whether it's in, your, in front of the, the, the contractor, um, you're throwing away opportunities, you're throwing away FaceTime to just collect some nuggets here and there. Um, but the challenge is, particularly on the manufacturing side, when you've got sales reps out in the field, not to throw up softballs. Don't give them leading questions, right? And we, <laughs> and we hear this yeah. time and time again. We almost laugh when we talk with our manufacturers because, well, our internal research tells us that our customers love us. If, of course it does. Because you've got your sales reps asking questions 
primarily only to the customers that they've known for 15 years yeah. and have a great personal True. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, tell me why you like our product more than a competitor. Of course, they're going to give you. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I'm only going to ask those people that I know really love our product. Yeah. Okay, so if you don't want to hear the truth, then, then don't ask the question of everybody. So going back to your question and, and really how you do it, make sure that everyone's kind of got a, a script to operate off of, right? Don't let people kind of go willy nilly on, on their own accord coming up with how they want to ask and who they want to ask it to try to formalize that process. So here's the questions. Here's the order of questions. Here's how we ask them. They're open-ended. They're non-leading, right? And by the way, we have to ask them of, you know, you know, maybe 10 from this segment, 10 from that segment, 10 from, from, you know, the third segment and define those segments to make sure you have representation of the customer base, the market, kind of however you're looking at the space, right? And it's going to differ by every client and, and, and again, category and, and so forth. But most companies are going to have their A, B and C kind of tier clients. Um, they're going to be able to get in front of those that don't use their brand at all. Um, so again, just come up with a formalized process that's consistent across all. So that when you all come back to the office, you can compare apples to apples rather than having some anecdotal conversations about why John Smith and Jane Doe really, really love you up in the Northeast. That's right. I, I liked what you said there a minute ago about starting with knowing what kind of information you're looking for and allowing that to be the starting point. Like what you know, I'm sure that like you run this all the time where like you give somebody incredible market research, but then they've got to figure out how to apply it. Like what advice, Grant, would you give a manufacturer who, let's say they get market research done, like how do they use that to fuel growth? How do they use that to fuel innovation and stay ahead of their category? No, no pressure. Like that's just the biggest, that's, that's the biggest question we're going to ask you today, right? So our firm does a number of different projects. I told you in our little sales pitch up front that we don't focus on a methodology. We focus on an industry. So we'll do, you know, product development work. We'll do classic usage and attitude. Um, we'll do concept tests through, you know, qualitative work. We'll do market sizing, distribution structure, brand share, brand awareness. So we work in a variety of different ways. And in each of those areas is going to kind of dictate different types of uses or, or how a manufacturer, how a retailer might be able to utilize the data to, to better serve them. Um, again, I, I think for us, where we find the value um, is knowing this industry so well to have the conversations up front to make sure that when we have the conversations on the back end that we can utilize the findings, the data in a way that gives them those answers that they initially started looking for. And oftentimes, again, it goes back to this upfront piece. You just got to pretend you're a three-year-old kid and just keep asking why. Well, we want to understand what brands our, our, our home builders are familiar with. Well, why? Well, because we believe we're, we're top of mind brand. Well, why do you say that? Well, I don't know. We've been around 30 years and we have pretty good distribution. Okay, well, why is brand awareness important to you? How are you using brand awareness internally? Is that a critical metric that you're bonusing against? Is that a critical metric that you found correlation to in, increase in sales? I mean, you know, why are you so curious about brand? And so when you start asking some of those questions, you can understand then how to utilize the data on the back end. Yeah, in fact, you know, Forensic Group, we did find that the higher awareness correlates to higher sales. So we want to make sure that we've been increasing our awareness score over the last three years and we track it every six months. Brilliant. Now we can run that, that analysis to start telling you, yeah, your awareness is going up. Here's why it's going up. 
Here's why your sales are going up. So, I mean, again, it all comes back to a lot of those whys. And I think, you know, um, a lot of clients use some big data, use secondary data, which is great. And we encourage that. Um, we don't play in that big data space. A lot of times from that big data piece, and I apologize for going on a tangent here, but big data is always going to tell you a lot of times the what. Here's what these people do, are doing. Here's what's going on. It doesn't always tell you the why. And I think on the back end is really where you start getting at, well, why the heck is this happening? And those answers that you get from those, you know, asking, asking why, 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 um, I think really drive manufacturers and retailers to start having some serious internal discussions on what they need to be doing different. Do you have any examples of this, Grant, like a manufacturer that you've seen take this and like they just springboard or launch or improve in an area that you've seen them struggle um, yeah, and, and all the work we do is confidential. Um, this one is, um, you know, the products are now out. I'm not going to mention company names. Um, but this was a client who plays in a space that traditionally has some, some negative perceptions around quality. Um, I don't think they fully understood that. I think that they had just accepted that, yeah, we're, we're in a space that just has low usage, Right. Um, but when you start digging into, well, you know, why is it low usage? Um, you know, what specifically can we attribute to maybe um, some, some negative perceptions? If there are negative perceptions, if we could overcome those negative perceptions, what would that do? How can we overcome negative perceptions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So we went down a, a pretty extensive path with this client through some qualitative and quantitative work and found out that there were a lot of negative perceptions that were keeping the incidents pretty low that it wasn't lack of need or lack of wants, but it was a lack of understanding at the fundamental level about that category. Interesting. There was learning number one, right? Okay, brilliant. So we've isolated that this is kind of a, a perception issue. Yeah? And this was both on the homeowner and the, uh, and the pro side. So then we could have some additional research to start uh, testing out some value propositions, some claims, some statements, et cetera, to understand what would resonate to start overcoming the hurdle that that manufacturer, and to be honest, that entire category had for the 20 prior years. And sure enough, once we nailed down through some data and analysis to find the key two or three messages and triggers that really helped a consumer and, and, and contractor overcome some of those, those hurdles and, and negative perceptions, boom. They now have dominant share in that category, um, and they've seen some serious growth in their sales. If you've ever been to IBS, you've definitely seen their booth. Very cool. So interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of different examples, and it, it, again, it depends on on what they're trying to answer, and that's where you, you got to start the conversation. What are you trying to answer, and why are you trying to answer it? And let's and let's build a scope out from there. Research is a component of everything that we do. Custom research is a component of everything we do. Um, clients are doing it themselves now, which is great. I mean, we encourage people to capture their own data relative towards their business, whether they do it themselves, use us, use someone else. Um, and I don't want to minimize the ability to execute market research. But I think as our business evolves, we have to acknowledge that the accessibility, just like a consumer's accessibility to information, Manufacturers and retailers' accessibility to information conducting their own research is evolving too. Yeah. So our role is, is oftentimes more valuable in trying to facilitate those discussions up front 
and help them understand how to use it on the back end more than it is almost in the execution. That's great. Well, Grant, we really appreciate you joining our show today. If you want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Do you have a website or an email address? Yeah, you can pass yeah that'd be great. Um, so uh, they can reach the Farnsworth Group at uh, thefarnsworthgroup.com uh, or certainly contact me directly. My email is gfarnsworth at thefarnsworthgroup.com and be happy to entertain any questions or conversations. We love being a part of this industry. So grateful you all had us on today. Um, Beth, Zach, and, and the entire Venvio team, you know, we are, are strong admirers of what you all do for our space and, and big proponents of your work. So thanks again for having us. Thanks, Grant. Thanks, everybody. And if you enjoy this podcast and you want more great information like this, go to venvio.com slash podcast and subscribe. Until next time, thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Smarter Building Materials Marketing with Zach Williams and Beth Popnikoloff. To get the resources mentioned in this podcast, visit venvio.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.